Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela, and today I am sitting down with Madison from Golden State of Mind on Instagram. She is a six-figure contemporary and luxury reseller who also has her own Patreon membership, helping other fellow resellers take their business to the next level. We can't wait to learn more about Madison and her business, so let's dive right in. Hi, Madison, and welcome to Thrifters Villa. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. Yes, yes, yes. So one of our goals for 2023 here on Thrifters Villa was to have different people come on that um, resell in different ways. And you came to mind because you focus on luxury. That is your way of selling. Your way of sourcing is very different than, I guess, the traditional reseller. And I think hearing all these different perspectives really helps Mm, have people understand that reselling doesn't have to be one way. It doesn't have to be the way that I guess we traditionally see it in the social media realm, right? Agreed, so, yes. There's just so many aspects of it. So that was one of our goals and you are one guest we were very excited for. And we actually had quite a few Patreon members ask for you to come on. Because <laughs> I'm they, flattered. <laughs> because they either are a part of your Patreon group or they were and they really enjoyed your content. So um, this is for everyone that's been requesting you as well. Here I am. <laughs> so before we get into it, some people may not know who you are. So why don't you get a little breakdown of who you are, how you get started into reselling, and we'll take it from there. Yeah. So I got started, um, I think it was at the end of 2018. And um, for me, it was a super organic thing. I know some people, it seems like some people reselling started super organically. And then yeah. some people are like, no. I needed to make it a business and I knew I wanted to make it a business from the beginning. I was just a thrifter. And I, I remember there was one piece. I always talk about this whenever someone asks me this, there was a Lululemon sweatshirt, like back when Lululemon was like Gucci. Remember yeah. that? Yes. Um, <laughs> and I could not leave. It was way too big for me, but I could not leave it. I was like, I can't believe this. I found this at the thrift. I can't leave it here. I have to take it home. And then I got it home and I was like, well, what do I do with it? <laughs> yeah. Well, now I have this thing. <laughs> yeah. And so I had always had an eBay account. Um, I think I used to buy on, I don't know. Every time I call, they say, oh, thanks for being a member for 37 years. Like it's some huge number that like, I must've made one when I was like 13. Um, it's not 37. Don't worry, guys. I was going to say, there's no but... way it's 37 years. Because... <laughs> um, so I always had that account. So I was like, you know what, let's throw it on there and see what happens. And it sold. And I was like, oh, like, oh, this is, this is something. Um, so then I started just kind of like thrifting different things to see what would sell and things were selling. And that's, it just, kind of snowballed from there. Did you resell or, or sell things online, I should say, before you started to resell? No. Okay. No, I hadn't sold anything on eBay. I this is what's really weird is I started on eBay. I didn't know about Poshmark at all until um that was like late 2018 and then I remember like New Year's Day 2019. I was like, look, this can be something I can make this into a business. And so at that point I started researching different platforms mm. and stuff like that. And that's when I came across uh, Poshmark, which I think is really unusual because most people start on Poshmark, just like selling their own clothes yeah. and stuff like that. And I was like, what's this? Okay. Let's open up one of these accounts and see what happens. Um, so yeah, I had never sold, um, maybe like Facebook, just little things, but yeah. I, I don't think I've really, I had really sold before that. That's interesting. So like for me, for example, I 
used to like flip my textbooks and stuff on Craigslist or on eBay or on Amazon when Amazon lets you put your textbooks on there and sell them. Like I used to, when Amazon was a baby, like it was right. barely anything then. Right. It was That's <laughs> how I started selling or like I would flip my coach handbags that I paid stupid amount of money for. And I would like go on Craigslist and meet someone up in a public place and take cash uh-huh. and sell my cell phone. So like I used to flip like that, but like reselling, I was the same late 2008, well, 2018, I would say is like when I really was like, oh, people do this. Like, this is a real thing that people do. Right. I had no idea, but I was never a thrifter. So I always find it interesting. Like everyone's oh, interesting. story. Yes. I was never a thrifter, never went to thrift stores. It wasn't my thing. When I started teaching in 2011, 2010, 2009. I don't know, somewhere around there. <laughs> the years blend together. I was in my early twenties when I started teaching and I started going to savers for my classroom to get like different blocks and stuff like that, or books to build up the library for the kids. Um, so I started going for those reasons, but like, I never looked at the clothes. That's just, is not how I was brought up. I was, um, a first-generation Italian-American, and my parents were very proud to buy everything in a retail store because that was like right. an American dream, right? right? So I didn't grow up going into all these different stores. I, like yard sales, that, that wasn't a thing in my life. So my journey was very different where my my good friend Jill is the one who kind of got me into it. And she was like, I sell things on Poshmark and make extra money and buy things that I want. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I can do that. Like <laughs> where do you get the things? Yeah, exactly. What? <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's kind of how I started learning. Um, so yeah, it's always interesting to hear how like people got into it and how like some people it's like an accident. It's like, well, I found this thing and then I put it online. I realized, oh, this is, this is an actual business. Right. Right. Did you, what was your career path before that? Um, I was working for a small company. It was an electrical contractor, which I still do actually, um, work for them a few hours a week, just remote. Um, stuff that I can do from home. Yeah. Um, so I was working with them full time. I had, I was recently out of business school. I went to the Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of not sure of what I really wanted to do. Who really knows um, what they want to do though? Like, I mean, yeah. Some I'm 36 and still don't know what I want to do. <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised that, you know, Berkeley, a lot of people knew exactly. It's like Mm -hmm. they were born to be an accountant or a consultant. And I just never felt that. So it was kind of, you know, I I graduated and I was like, all right, let's just see what happens and just kind of like fell into this. Yeah. Um, So, okay. So it's 2018. You you realize, okay, I'm going to make this a business. What were like your next steps? How did you determine all right, this is what I want to do with my life. Like, what what did you do? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that happened until much later. For mm. me, it was more like, so early 2019. And I remember that because I know my posh, poshiversary or whatever they call it is January 1st because I started on the first of the year. Um, and I remember that was 2019. So I think that whole year, it was very, very much a hobby. Mm. It was not, and, and it was a hobby, but in the back of my mind, I was like, I want to make this into a business. How do I make this into a business? But I was still just trying to learn how to do it in the first place. Um, because I had no idea like what brands, I wasn't a fashion person. I wasn't in on like trends and stuff like that. So I had no idea what would sell. So 
it was very like trial and error. I think that whole year, my whole career has been trial and error. (laughs) (laughs) Every day is trial and error. Every day is trial and error. (laughs) But especially that first year, just trying to kind of figure out like, what is going on? What are the best platforms? So that's, you know, I I started on Poshmark. I started on Mercari. um, And I think that's it. I just sold on the three for quite a while. Um, And so, yeah, next steps were just kind of thrifting, listing, trying to figure out how to take better photographs, better Mm -hmm. listing descriptions, trying to figure out how to negotiate. Because I remember that was like a really hard thing for me. I had never had to negotiate with anyone before. And I ended up selling a lot of things for (laughs) way too cheap because Mm -hmm. it's not a skill that I had, which um, it was just kind of tightening everything up and trying to figure out how does this work? (laughs) Did you know about the social media community or like did you stumble like I happened to stumble across it because of my friend Jill otherwise I had no idea this was even a thing that people did right I um I hopped on at the beginning of that year and I think I had the intention of selling things on Mm. there which I now know is not it's at least not really hard (laughs) right um and so I did hop on there and I found the hashtags and I followed like a few people And, um, then I kind of just fell off of it for like a whole entire year. And, um, I came back to it, I believe right as the pandemic was hitting early 2020 and I had a few followers and, you know, I noticed, oh, the people who I followed who were kind of just getting started when I was getting started are like really big now. Like they're really doing things now, you know, they're like making great sales. And so that's when I kind of realized, how much I needed social media to see what people are doing. And I, I talk about this all the time. I can, I know I can talk about it until I'm blue in the face, but like it is so valuable to watch what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. And it's not being nosy or being like, Oh, I want to beat that person. I want to be better than that person. It's just about like learning shortcuts, you know, otherwise you're going to go through all of that trial and error on your own. And it's going to take you twice as long, which is exactly what happened my first year. If I had been on social media, I bet I would have been like up and running so much quicker. Yeah, there there's something to be said about what like social media is like good and bad, right? There's the the good in it that it teaches you so much and you get to interact with so many people and network and understand things that you would have never understood if you just tried to figure it out on your own. It, people basically lay the groundwork for you, but then like the bad or I guess the negative of it is there's so much comparison game that can come into play or like the, um, the feeling of like not being good enough or this person went to this thrift store near me and they found all this stuff. And I went the other day and I couldn't find anything. And it's like, there's, there's like that in between, like we have to be a little, like we're all human. And just because I found something really great this day doesn't mean that you can't find it tomorrow. And it all depends on when you go to the thrift store, like all these different factors, but it's also such a highlight reel. And I think that's where people tend to step away from the reselling community when they feel like they're just getting so overwhelmed with like people finding all this great stuff all the time. And, and they, um, it almost like makes them afraid to take that next step. Like I see both sides of it. Totally. Yeah. And I tell people that all the time, like it is a highlight reel. I think, you know, I'm not going to go on there and be like, Hey guys, it's me. Haven't made a sale in three days. (laughs) Exactly. Signing (laughs) off. Like that's just depressing. It can just be sad, you know? So agreed. But I think it's, it's important to just take it all with a grain of salt and remember that it is a highlight Mm -hmm. reel because people aren't showing you 
like their bad moments or their mistakes or or sometimes they do, which I think is super, super helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that there's kind of a balance where you can use it to learn and um, try to figure out what you're doing based on what other people are doing. And then to also say, first of all, that just because that works for that person doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Try it, try it and see, but it probably, it might not work for you. And second, just because they had a really good sourcing day doesn't mean every day is like that for them. And you've had really good sourcing days too. Exactly. (laughs) It's true. It's so true. So as your business starts to grow, where did you have your business? Was it in your home? Did you, because I know you have a separate space now. Yes. I was always in my home. I think I got a storage unit. When was that? The years. <laughs> Everything <laughs> from like 2018 to present day makes no sense to me. So I don't I know, know either. <laughs> I want to say it was 2021 at some point, maybe late-ish in the year, summer or later is when I got a storage unit, but I was still working in my home. And up until that point, I was working like 100% out of my home, mm. um, which it's hard. <laughs> yes. Um, overwhelming. It's so this is like one of those topics that always comes up that people always have questions about, right? Whether it's through DM or within our, our discord or Patreon, whatever it is. And it's that question of, well, how do I know it's time for me to move out of my home and go into an office or get a storage unit? And it's like, it just really depends on the person and your situation. And I mean, from my personal experience, I started off, so we had sold our home we made a profit on it. This was in 2018. And then we're like, we're going to sit a little bit and we're going to buy another house. Well, that didn't happen. We were in a one bedroom apartment for three years because the market went absolutely crazy. And I was in a 768 square foot apartment with my inventory that was growing and my business that was growing, working basically in the bedroom Mm -hmm. doing it. And it's like now, now that we have our house, I have this. So this is an addition that's over the garage. So I have this whole space. This is literally, this is probably the size of the apartment, probably bigger than the size of the apartment. And I have this whole space that I can use. Well, yes. So for me, I will never get a storage unit or an office. I have one up here. In worst case scenario, if we needed to convert one of these rooms to something else, I would just move everything in here. Like, you know what I mean? Like what I can make it work. I have a basement. Like I don't need to do that, but I think I think it's different for everyone. For me, because I don't see this and it's in a completely separate part of the house and there's a separate yes. entrance to it. Like it's out of sight, out of mind. When it was in my apartment, I saw it every time I went to bed, every time I woke up, every time I got my clothes out of the closet, like I saw it. Totally. I think you make a great point because, you know, I, I live in the Bay area in the San Francisco area. So everything is tiny here and everything Mm -hmm. is very expensive here. So when I started, I was in a 650 square foot house, um, with, like you said, yeah, inventory that was growing. And, um, we bought our house somewhere along the line and it's still pretty small. It's under a thousand square feet. So yeah, if I had a bunch of space, I wouldn't need a separate workspace or storage area. So it absolutely depends. It depends on how crazy it drives you. <laughs> it depends on really how little space you have. Um, and also financially, because in some mm-hmm. places it might be super inexpensive to rent a whole office space. And that way you you know, have it out of your house and you go to work and then you come home and you're done with work. Um, or in some areas, it's just it does it like the amount of sales you would have to make to cover your yes. rent just doesn't make sense for you. Yeah. So it's totally dependent. And I think that's one of the biggest factors that people need to consider is 
it depends on where you live. That's like the first, the main thing. Like, what does your living situation look like? What, who lives in your home and what factors contribute to that? Do you have children? Like all those things play into it. And then it's the, well, are you even making enough money to? Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist. A confidence boost before your interview or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. To warrant you going somewhere else and getting that space. I can tell you right now where I am in Rhode Island, it would probably be, for a small office, you're talking almost three grand a month for everything included, if not more. So yeah. That's basically no, no, that's not happening because yeah. I'd be left over with very minimal for what I need to do. Right. Right. And, and it just doesn't worth it. Yeah. Um, so when it came to getting a, um, a storage unit, how did you make that work? Cause storage units are fascinating to me because that's where you store your things, but you can't necessarily photograph or ship or do that kind of stuff there. Right. Yeah. So, I was still um, processing everything at my house. I had an uh, office. I had a spare room, which was my office, which was amazing. Um, but my storage unit was just for storing. Mm-hmm. So I would go over there every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd put in my little code, wait for the gate to open. I mean, thankfully it was only five minutes away, yeah. but it really, it just started to drain me. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though it was so close and I know I sound like such a brat right now, no, but, but driving the five minutes, step. exactly. When I just want to grab my things and, and pack them up and ship them. Um, so it worked though. I really, really needed it at the time that I got that unit because my workspace, I couldn't move around it. I could barely photograph. It was bleeding into my house. Mm. I mean, my husband is a literal saint that he has not left because the amount of boxes, because I stored everything in boxes at that time, there were just stacks of boxes everywhere in this pretty small house. Mm. So I needed it. It was necessary, but it's all about kind of like taking steps and there's a journey, you know? So I waited until the very, very last minute to get this storage unit where Mm. I my life couldn't contain all these boxes anymore. And then I worked with the storage unit for about a year, maybe a little bit over a year. And that started to drive me crazy. And I needed more space. And it was between going to a bigger unit and going to an office space. So I went, you know, to the office space. So it's all about taking like the little baby steps at the time that's right for you in your business. Yeah. And now in your office, you store your inventory, you do everything in your office. Yes. Everything is here. And I love it. I love it so much. It's, it's only five minutes away from my house. It's in the opposite direction of my storage unit, (laughs) but, um, it's amazing. Like my dog can come to work with me every day. She's always sitting here and I have two separate rooms. So I have a room that's my storeroom, which is behind me. You'll see, Um, and I just have all of my inventory stored in there, neat and tidy. Don't have to worry about it getting wet, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the storage unit, anything like that. And then I have an office space where I can process items. So it's like, I just sometimes can't believe how perfect it is for me. You know, it just like really worked out. That's great. And now do you have employees or do you do everything yourself? It's all me. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm not at that point. The, the goal in coming here was at one point to maybe hire someone for help. Mm. But um, 
once I kind of got into it and I also, you know, started leaning more heavily into luxury, I was doing more, I was doing a little bit of luxury, but a lot of Doc Martens and more like mid-tier type of things at that time when I moved in here. Um, But when I started leaning more into luxury, I realized I needed to process fewer items, right? Um, And it just didn't make sense to, to bring someone else in. Perfect segue into sourcing because <laughs> I want to talk about like the items you sourced when you first started, because I think this is always like the most important thing to share with people. Like we all basically start in the same place and then eventually find where we belong in yes. reselling. And then we get to where we're really happy and comfortable and and processing things. So where did you start? And then how did you kind of venture into where you are now? So I started at the thrift, mm-hmm. just like seems like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, when when COVID hit 2020, um, I did the same kind of scramble that everyone else did and was like, what am I going to do? Um, so I dabbled in wholesale boxes that didn't really do it for me. It was like, I need to start sourcing online. So I started sourcing like Lululemon was really big still Mm -hmm. at that time. Patagonia. I started dabbling in Tiffany. I used to sell a lot of Tiffany at one point. Um, and I think that as I started doing that and kind of learning how to source online, um, I started to kind of pinpoint the items that were bringing in the bigger profit, which was pretty much always Tiffany. So I went through a phase. I've always had like these brands that I, I super focus on, you know, I've, yeah. I've had Tiffany for at least six months, six, eight, nine months, maybe. Where I would have known just... the first thing about sourcing Tiffany online. <laughs> I didn't either. That's the secret. That's the secret. Everyone wants to know, how do you know how to source these things? You You don't. You just try. You you try. (laughs) You, you know, take a risk. And I do, um, I did have a little bit of experience with Tiffany because that's like the one nice, like thing I used to have growing up. People here and there would buy a Tiffany necklace, but I didn't grow up with luxury goods. I didn't grow up with any type of designer, but I think, I don't know why that even came to me, like to source a Mm. Tiffany necklace, but it did. So I started kind of leaning more into that and then slowly into Doc Martens and then more into like luxury. And meanwhile, I'm sourcing all kinds of things. It's not like I'm sourcing exclusively those brands, but um, in my mind, I've kind of that was kind of my process. Did you start in like, I know you said Tiffany's and stuff, but like, did you focus on all categories and have you like narrowed down what your focus is going to be? Like, I know for me, I was sourcing everything when I first started because Mm -hmm. I didn't know any different. You just source all the things that you find. And then as the years have gone on, it's like, okay, I have these four categories that I, I hyper focus on. And then if I happen to find other things, other categories, fine. But like, I typically don't pick up hard goods. I typically stay away from glassware. I don't really look at tops. Like there's like different categories that I'm like, "Mm, yeah, I could do it, but is it worth my time to do? Right. Yeah. I think I quickly realized, you know, even at the thrift tops are not where it's at. It's really hard to make it has to be real special for me to grab it. Yeah. And, um, so That's the first thing I remember kind of cutting out. I feel like I've slowly like shed categories Mm -hmm. through the years. Um, At this point where I'm at right now, I'm doing mostly shoes. I 
and I'm sure by the time this actually comes out, I'll have changed because I change all the time. Um, but I think I'll always probably focus on shoes. Um, coats and jackets do well for me. Dresses are like on their way out for me. Um, oh, okay. They're, yeah, there are just, and I was talking to someone on my Patreon about this. It's just some things work for some people mm -hmm. and they don't work for other people. And dresses are one of those things that I've tried to like, shove the square peg into the round hole for years and years and years and it just doesn't they don't work for me they don't right. do I can make a profit here and there on a dress but for the most part they sit around um and so it's something that I'm kind of trying to be more conscious of and let's focus on the things that do work which mostly shoes if I see a coat or jacket that I like um and again maybe you'll talk to me next summer and I'll be like, I love dresses. What are you talking about? <laughs> but it's so funny you say that. So I had like a hate relationship with dresses from 2018 to like probably 20, the beginning of 2022. So that, that whole chunk, I was like, I hate dresses. I don't like looking on the racks for them. They're pain in the ass. My arms hurt. Like yes. I'm not that tall. <laughs> I'm five, four and the racks are always really high. And it's like, I don't want to look at them and they're too long and they're a pain to store. But this is when I was in the apartment. So we moved into this place in September of 2021, right? Yeah, because we've been here a little over a year. And I, I was in, I don't remember what store I was in. I was in a store in Boston somewhere, one of the thrift stores in Boston. And I was like, okay, they have really nice stuff here. Let me just look at the dresses and like, maybe I'll get re-inspired because I feel like with certain categories, you go away and then you're like, but let me just look, right? Like you always get like drawn mm -hmm. back in. So I started finding some really great dresses and then they started to move for me. And I was like, okay, now I'm obsessed with them. And it's the strangest thing to me because I was a shoe girl. I was shoes and handbags and jeans. Like that was it. That was my game. And now I'm like, mm, but I really love dresses, coats, blazers, shoes, handbags. Like that's yes. what I love now. <laughs> um, I, I actually hate athletic wear now. I can't stand it. I try not to sort. If I find some good Lululemon, I'll pick it up. But like, I try really hard not to source it. It just doesn't move like it used to. Athletic wear is right. so accessible to people now. There's so many, like Old Navy makes a really good legging. So it's uh -huh. like, there's so many brands that do it well now. It's not just Lululemon. It's not just Athleta. It's not just Girlfriend Collective. Like, there's so much out there that I feel like I don't need to source it like that anymore. Right. I totally agree. I, I don't remember the last time I sourced athletic wear. Um since Lululemon stopped selling well, really. <laughs> it's it's so funny because Lululemon has like its moments where you'll get someone that's looking for like that specific piece because it was discontinued in 2018, right? And you'll get that person to buy it. But it's like, you can't give it away now. Right. It's I know. Wild. I still have pieces that I paid up for, you oh, know, back sucks. in the day at a buy, sell, trade. I mean, not that much. Not yeah, but it's still you what I'm up. doing now. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm like, really, this needs to sell for less than I paid for it. And it's just like so painful. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to let that sit there. And we'll see what happens. It will sell eventually. And worst case scenarios, places like Plato's Closet love Lululemon. So it's like, if you right. really want to offload it, you're probably not going to get a ton for it. But they sell it for like 30, 40 bucks, depending on the piece. So you're bound to get 10 to 15 on it. Right, right. Just get some money back at least. That's what I think I'm going to do with my athletic wear, actually, now that we're talking about it. I think I'm going to go, I have two bins of it. I have one bin that's Lululemon, then I have one bin that's like all other brands. All good brands, but they're all different ones. I think I'm going to compile and see which ones aren't new at Tag and 
bring into Plato's closet and just whatever I make, I make. I don't even care. Yeah. Or get the trade. That too. Could do that. And then I have a bunch of bathing suits that are new at tags. They're um, solid and striped bathing suits and they're great, but they just don't move in the way that you think that they would move. And I've sold a whole bunch of them, but I still have like half, not even half a tote, less than half a tote left. It's like, I just, I don't like selling bathing suits. So I don't care if they're new tag. I think I might just send them into the real real and make a dollar off of them and be happy there with it. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. I'm all for getting rid of categories that don't work for you anymore. Yeah. Um, I do love that you focus on shoes and I love the content that you put out because there are times like there are shoes that you find. I'm like, I don't even know how you did this, but it's amazing. <laughs> um, but there's something about sell the, the gratification you get from finding a great pair of shoes and then selling that great pair of shoes and the ROI that comes from it. Like it is right. just so different than selling the traditional piece of clothing. Well, shoes, people are willing to pay a lot of money for shoes. And I think it's the same yes. thing with dresses because there are special mm-hmm. occasions that they're, you know, wearing it to, but for some reason, people will just shell out for a pair of shoes. Shoes, <laughs> shoes are special. Really they are. So. They, I am willing to pay money. If I go on the real real and I'm like, this is a great deal on, a pair, on whatever shoe it is, I'm buying it. Like it's, I don't even think twice about it. Right, Where, right jeans or a blouse like "Mm, but do I really need to spend a hundred and whatever dollars on this pair of jeans no right and the thing about shoes too at least like the shoes that I'm selling is a lot of them are so iconic like if they have the Gucci the horse bit you know Mm -hmm. uh thing on top or like Louboutins like the red bottoms I think that has a lot to do because like if you you know buy a pair of Anina Bing jeans like, mm-hmm. yeah, people will know if they see the letter, little leather patch on the back, but for the most part, they just look like a pair of jeans. But if you're wearing a p- pair of Gucci pumps, people know those are Gucci. Absolutely. And I think people are willing to pay for that. Such like a status thing, right? It's, so, exactly. it's the same with handbags. It's the exact same thing with handbags. Like people are willing to pay yes. whatever it is for a handbag because of the status symbol that comes with it because our society is vain and that's just the way we do things here. Mm-hmm. But Um, I mean, I'm part of that as well. I'm like, yeah, no, I like that. I need it. But um, okay. So when you are, um, so now you've decided what categories work for you and stuff. What would you say are the top brands that you're always on the lookout for that you have learned to work for your business? I want to stress this. Not all these brands are going to work for everyone. (laughs) Right. Um, I think, well, Doc Martens historically, but I've actually noticed that docs have been not selling as well lately. Yes. I have two pairs that are sitting. They've been sitting for six months. What is wrong with me? Yeah. And um, someone pointed out, I was going to talk about this on Patreon later today, but I'll I'll let it go. Exclusive. You're hearing it here first (laughs) on their first Villa Friends. (laughs) Um, I was chatting with someone over on Patreon about this this morning and she pointed out she says look at the google trends report for doc martens so if you look at it you know it spikes every winter and fall and goes down Mm. in the summer spikes the spike this year was a lot lower Mm. so i do think that doc martens are kind of on their way out um so for me generally doc martens would be one of those top brands but i'm kind of in a transitional phase with them or more of a like wait and see phase can I give you my or... hypothesis as to why? Yes. Because I'm a yes. huge fashion trends girl. I like okay. live, breathe fashion trends. I watch them. I like read about it almost daily. And for the last, we'll say year, 
the combat boot is not necessarily what people want. They want the lug sole. They want that like Bottega Veneta one whole piece, like that chunk that goes with yes. it. They want, it's still a combat boot, but it's like an elevated combat boot. And Doc Martin has not created that yet. They like still have platform. the platform. Correct. They still have yeah. the traditional combat boot and that mm -hmm. is not trending anymore it's more of like this chunky the the really thick thick lug sole piece to it um and that's transitioning into 2023 as well if anything they're even getting longer which is interesting they're like elongating the toes this episode is brought to you by bumble so you want to find someone you're compatible with specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection totally open to having kids in the future is a tall rock climbing libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on tuesdays just as much as you do bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you so whatever it is you're looking for bumble's features can help you find it date now on bumble it's strange but that's weird what it is it's like it's like a separate piece and it's longer. It's very odd, but whatever. That's what's trending. Um, so it doesn't surprise me, I guess, that Doc Martens are kind of on that downward Google trend because it's not what people want. Right. And even if they do start making something like that, that's super trendy and current, that's not what I have. That's not mm -hmm. what I am able to source, you know, if it's a brand new style. So mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. But as far as, you know, other brands, I'm always looking for Louboutin. I love selling Louboutins. Um, Gucci, what else? I've got stuff over here. Sometimes Jimmy Choo. Um, oh, I, I, I can't do Jimmy Choo. Listen, I try and I just, I suffer because they just don't sell the way they should. Yeah, they should. They really should. Yeah. I found that their boots can do okay. But okay. yeah, Jimmy Choo takes a minute. For mm. sure. Um, Tory Birch, but I'm I'm also on the same mm. thing with Tory Birch. I think that the Miller might be on its way out, which I'm so sad because like But it's such like summer. a uh, it's just so basic now. Like Tory Birch right. has become basic. And I like I hate to even say like it's a really great brand, <laughs> but it's like in terms of reselling, some of these brands just just like everything else, they phase and then they come back and they phase out and they come back. But I there's just something about Tory Birch that I'm like Meh. okay right right great and the like, whole the whole miller oh you have a miller symbol look great. at that <laughs> yeah <laughs> what about pradas what are your feelings on pradas um prada is hit or miss mm. i think that there are a lot of old old prada shoes out there and sometimes those can do well more times they don't um I recently sold though for a consignment client. It was something that as I was accepting them, I was like, I should not be accepting these. This is ridiculous. The ugliest pair of, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't know how old your listeners are, but the, the, the ugliest all ages. grandma slip on mm. leather square toe, but like loafers, they were oh. terrible. And they sold for like $150. Well, because Depop. people like that stuff now. I, I couldn't even believe it. So it really just depends. But like, would I pick that pair up again? No. Would I pay up for that pair? Probably not because I don't know if I can do that again. <laughs> that That's was just I, luck of the draw. <laughs> I tell people and they're like, oh, I was looking this, this up and I saw your comp and I'm like, 
sorry there's a truck that's outside okay. my window I was like and I'm like just because I did it once doesn't mean I can do it again that's don't trust me <laughs> there so I I don't even know how I did this but I sold an Oscar de la Renta dress it was beautiful it was floral it was probably I think it was a 2021 collection um it wasn't runway I think like rent the runway had it but it wasn't a runway piece I sold it for over $500 and I don't think I could ever replicate that ever wow. again ever. someone needed it someone fell in love with it exactly and they were like, that's, it. that's the dress that will never happen again. I sold a pair of, so the, oh my God, I cannot think of the, the Susanna, the Chloe Susanna, right? Is that what it's yes. called? Mm -hmm. The boots. Yes. So I mm -hmm. had a pair. I bought them on Poshmark for myself. I paid less than a hundred dollars for them. They needed some work. Ooh. So I went to the cobbler. I had them fixed. I wore them probably five times tops. And I was like, okay, I'm going to sell them now on the real rail and stuff. And these were fixed up and there were still some studs missing they like sell between that two to depending on how good they are, 375 range on the real real. I sold them for six hundred dollars and I don't know how I did that. And they were no, used. Surprising. But it's just it's wild to me because you can talk to someone else about it and they'll say, I can't move them for four hundred. So Yeah, that's true. But I just sold a pair that I was shocked and they sold for five something. Um and they were torn up. Those things like the the heel was peeling back. <laughs> So it doesn't surprise me. I think it's just, I guess you have to find the right buyer. And that's what I'm always telling people. I also think, so this is what I think the secret, the secret sauce is, I guess, in, in terms of like, as you grow as a reseller, I think you start to build while you're building your brand, you're building your clientele. And it's almost like, it's not like people, the customers are talking to each other, but they almost get a feel when they look at your store. And this is why it's so important that you like good, take good pictures and all that kind of stuff. Right. They get a feel of what kind of seller you are, what kind of items you are, you have, and they'll look at the reviews, even though on Poshmark, they don't necessarily mean anything because they only show the mm -hmm. good ones. Um, but they get an idea of like, okay, I can spend 500 on this piece because this is a trusted seller and they're, yes. they're selling all these great things and the price points are reasonable. And it's like, there is something to that. I, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, like you mentioned the photographs, people will always mention, even people who aren't resellers, just my friends who are like, oh, I was browsing Poshmark and saw one of your photos. And I think that that kind of consistency rather than, you know, taking photographs in on a different surface in your house every day, like, like the casual seller would mm -hmm. do. I think you, that all builds confidence. Absolutely. And I think when you're going into that luxury zone, you can jump right into it if you want, but I feel like if you want to build that trust and that consistency, it takes a little bit and, and it might not happen right away. And you might think that you're failing at it, but it's like, you need to put these certain things into place so that the buyer will trust buying this luxury piece from you. Being a luxury seller is very different than being the everyday, like selling jeans, tops, and all that kind of stuff. It's a very different type of selling. Um, it's a quality-based selling, not a quantity-based. I mean, I guess it could be quantity if you wanted it to be, but it's much harder to be a quantity-based seller. You are going based off of quality and then right. going off of there, right? Making your monetary amount that you need to make. Um, you had mentioned that you do consignment. I didn't know that. So let's yes. talk about what made you go into consignment number one, because I have no interest in consignment. Yeah. So for me, it was more as I was kind of transitioning into higher ish end items. I wasn't doing like a crazy amount of luxury during that time when I started doing consignment, but it was more of sourcing had always been my bottleneck. Like 
out of everything in my business, sourcing was always the hardest part for many, many years. And so I started Why? to try to think, um, I think that maybe I just had high standards. <laughs> I don't know. I what, mean, me what, too. <laughs> the, the types of things that I wanted to sell with the profits that I wanted to look for were just not there. Yeah. Um, and I would do, this was when I was doing online sourcing and I was hitting buy, sell trade stores. Um, but sourcing was always my bottleneck. Um, so that's why I started kind of looking at different ways. Okay. How, what are different ways that I can bring inventory in and consignment seemed like a, a really great option. So I kind of built out that side of my business um, and I did a lot of work on that um, before I even reached out to anyone, before I even posted an ad or anything. Um, and that's one thing because everyone's like, how do you get started on consignment? And I might have done a little bit too much work or more work than I needed to do. Um, but that's just the way my brain works. I want everything to have systems in place and to be completely built out before I try to venture over there. So I made my contract. I, you know, figured out what all my terms would be, my policies, what happens if something's returned, what happens if something is damaged in transit, you know, all these little things that I figured out because I also thought, look, I am trying to get strangers to give me their really expensive stuff <laughs> and to be like, no, no, I promise I'll sell it online and, and give I'll you the give money. You your money. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I built a website. I built, um, you know, my contract and stuff like that to try to try or not try, but like to, to try, I guess, to make people confident mm. in me mm -hmm. um, because I, I felt like that was going to be hard to make people trust me. I can see that because, I mean, who are you to them? You're just some person on the internet that's saying, I'm going to sell your stuff. Um, I think there's this misconception, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I guess I had this misconception too, where like being in California means you find really great stuff all the time. Um, we have, I will say, we have much better buy sell trade stores. Yeah, Our thrift you do. stores, <laughs> thrift stores, no, I don't think. I mean, yeah, I guess this the stuff we find here would skew higher or more expensive mm. um a little bit but for me thrift stores just didn't work at all so i guess i've never really thrifted in other states but i do recognize that we have some really amazing buy sell trade stores um but it's still not like all the time it's not like you yeah. go and you're guaranteed to fill three ikea bags um it's still i don't even know what that's like i don't think i've ever filled three ikea bags yeah. Ever. Have you, in have my you ever gone to bins? I'm not, no, no, I'm not a bins girl. Mm -mm, no, yeah. no. I am a very, like, go into a specific thrift store, look, if I don't find what I need, I'm out and I'm going to a consignment store or I'm sourcing online. Like, that's just who I am. I also right. don't like how a lot of thrift stores around here don't do quality control and just like everything's on the rack and then I have to do quality control. So I've found a couple of thrift stores that do it and then when it's only the good stuff that's on the rack. So, mm -hmm. That gives me peace of mind where I'm not checking for little pinholes. I'm not checking for all these little things. That to me is the part they hate the most about sourcing. Like sourcing's fun. Yeah, fine. Finding all the great things. Yes, we all enjoy. It. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. But it's like those little, those little things that thrift stores throw at us that I just don't want to deal with. And that's one right. of them. I don't want to sit there like staring at every seam to make sure that it's good. Like 
it's just, and I don't want to have to take something home and clean it three times to make sure I can right. sell it unless it's a real special piece. Again, well, there's always I, exceptions. I haven't, been, I haven't been to the thrift in years, years, I think at this point, like to source, I, I will go once in a while, but yeah. I'll give you my tip back when I was sourcing at the thrift store, I just bought everything and didn't look at it. And then I got home and got really angry at myself every time. (laughs) (laughs) I won't do that to myself because I work full time, right? So my only option to source is either after work and take time away from coming home, making dinner, being with my husband kind of thing, right? Like just relaxing or on the weekend, which again, taking time away from just like being a human, but that's the only time I can source. So for me, online sourcing has always been like, if I can do it, I'm in bed. Like, why not? You know, I'm not yeah. dedicating, like I'm not sitting at a desk and doing it. Sometimes I am. But for the most part, I'm doing all I'm in bed. I'm just kind of scrolling. What can I find kind of thing? It's like a very casual thing to me. And and that's easy. Or like right now I've created a schedule for myself where um, like Saturday morning, I always go to the chiropractor Saturday morning at like 9, 10 a.m. And then I go from like 10 to like one. And I give myself that time frame and say, okay, if I want to travel into Boston, I have three hours that I can do that. Or if I want to go to a local thrift store, Boston's not far from me. It's like an hour at most. I figured. <laughs> yeah, it's not far. Tiny little state, everything's close by. Um, but it's, so like, that's that's what I allow myself. And then people have to remember that on top of it all, I need to process and then get this stuff photographed and listed. So it needs to be worth my time. And it took me a while to figure that out. But like, now that I get, and I totally understand the the motto of going into luxury and it's like, I, I do luxury, but I do a mix. I do more mid-tier and then the luxury when I, I come across it, where you're kind of strictly more of the the luxury realm. Um, but that to me is worth my time. Like I'm okay with processing some of the stuff, even though it may only give me sixty or seventy dollars. I'm okay with processing it and spending the time doing it. Only I'm not that's okay. A great ROI. <laughs> well, well, it is. I know, but I've also worked very hard to to get there, right? Yes. So my my average selling. Um, I should let me rewind. My average selling price for the year last year was seventy four eighty three, something like that. Prior year, it was fifty nine twenty something. So I've in, over a year, I've increased, which has required so much work on my end, but I've increased it. My goal for this year for twenty twenty three is an eighty five dollar average selling price. Mm-hmm. That is my goal because I can maintain that. Would I love my average selling price to be higher than that? Yeah, but I also don't really make the capital. I mean, I could, but like, I I don't want to go that far into it because it's not my full time gig. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what like a lot of people, especially when you're starting out, kind of need to understand that mm-hmm. you don't have to go full throttle. Oh all God, the time. no. You know, just because, you know, I do mostly luxury shoes, you can dabble in it. You don't have yeah. to go all or nothing. Um, there are plenty of successful resellers who do a little bit of luxury, a little bit of mid-tier and whatever works. For them. It's it's what works for you and what what is the best use of your time? Like mm-hmm. you're saying. Yeah. And, and this will go perfectly into my next topic of live selling, because this is something that um, people think it's going to go away. I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's just going to transform and it may take different shape and it might look a little bit different, but I don't think it's ever going to like disappear. Right. Like it, right. it's, it's always been a thing on, on platforms, but now that um, selling platforms are incorporating them, I don't think it's going to you know, go away. But what are your thoughts on, on live selling? Do you have thoughts on it? I know 
you like me have not done it. So maybe we're a little biased in the way that we come across on it. Um, but do you think you'd ever do it? Um, for me, no, it just doesn't work with the type of inventory that I have. And I know people, whenever I say that people, people are sell like, luxury people, all the time in life yes, sales, people sell luxury. Look how much they're selling. Yes. But it takes a lot of time. It takes yes. a lot of time to build up, um, your whatnot account, or, you know, if you're doing Poshmark to the point where your luxury pieces fell for what they're actually worth. Mm. And not only does it take time, but it's going to take a lot of um, negative profit probably because you're going to be starting things low and those things are going to be selling really low until you build up your following. So for me, it's just not, it's just not part of my strategy. I think it's really great for volume sellers um, because there are volume sellers out there who kill it at, you know, live sales and they're on there every day, sometimes twice a day. And it's like, that's amazing. But, um, as far as like the type of inventory that I'm selling right now, no, I don't really have an interest in it. Um, but again, things change all the time. So who knows? Yeah. I think right now I'm in the same boat as you where it's like, well, what I'm doing works for me. Um, I don't have the time or the energy for that matter. And then I wouldn't be making the money. Like I wouldn't be hitting the goals that I need to hit for myself. If I started to transition into live sales with the inventory that I have, I would have to change and have like separate inventory to do live sales. Exactly. I don't want to do that. Right. And I think what a lot of people also don't understand is that um, the way I price things, you know, when you, well, I guess I can't speak for all luxury sellers, but for me personally, I price things high and I can admit that like, yeah, if you look at my stuff compared to others, it's high. But my strategy is more wait for the right buyer Mm -hmm. because someone will come along who is willing to pay that price. And if they don't, they'll make an offer and I can, you know, Mm -hmm. figure out when it's time to accept an offer. But that's not, that's the complete opposite of what live selling does. Live selling is more, or it's just completely impulse buying. It's here's this item. Look how cool it is. Don't you want it? Bid now, bid now, bid now, sold. Versus the more long-term strategy of let me list this and hundreds of people are going to see it. And then maybe three months down the road, that one person will come along and pay what I need to Mm -hmm. make my profit. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I see the fascination with it. I'm, I totally get it. Um, but I think when it comes, so I'm like a numbers girl when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I would This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. I would have to change so much about my business and mm-hmm. I'm just not okay with that. I'm not yeah. okay with changing all of that. I'm very content. And I mean, the philosophy on it is the searching for the item I really need game is not going anywhere because right. I know for myself personally, I'm not going to a live sale to find that thing that I need and hope that it's there. I'm just right. going to Google it and see what happens. And I yeah. feel like the general public is kind of on that same page where maybe they'll go into a live sales. It's fun, right? And it's 
that whole like gambling aspect, I guess, to it, where you're bidding on it and you hope that you get it. Um, but majority of people are going to search for what it is they need and they're just going to buy it when they find and it. And guess what? Those are the things that they're willing to pay for. Correct. Um, the stuff that's just an impulse buying kind of a game, they're going to be willing to pay a little bit, but not too, too much. But the stuff that they're like, look, I need to sit down and find this pair of shoes to replace this pair that mm-hmm. wore out or whatever. That's what they're willing to pay for. Mm-hmm. Yes, Absolutely. Um, is there someone in the community or someone in general that like you looked up to as you were going down the luxury route or did you just kind of take it on yourself? Let's see. Not really. I mean, I have lots of peers and friends on Instagram who, um, I've looked at for the whole time I've been reselling kind of just to see how they're mm-hmm. doing things. But as far as like switching into luxury, I feel like it was really more of a gradual thing. It wasn't a, okay, I see this person doing that and I want to try it. It was more of a, like, let's look back and see what's done really well for me. What's given me a lot of profit. And it always points to those items. So mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, I'm going to lean more heavily into those items. Um, what do you say to people that say to you, because people say this to me all the time, I just can't find what it is that you source or what you sell. And I just don't know the first thing about anything. Like I just like luxury, luxury scares me and I don't know what to do. What yeah. do you say to them? Um, I would say to them that I have a Patreon that covers all that stuff. But, <laughs> and but, here's our next segue. <laughs> but no, my... My main, I mean, I, like I told you, I was never a luxury girl. I was never a designer girl. I knew absolutely nothing about anything luxury before going into all of this. So first of all, in to that point, you don't need to know. You learn. You slowly learn how to authenticate things. You use authenticators in the meantime, um, and you kind of grow into it. As far as not being able to find stuff, it's it's all about it's out there. It's about when you're looking, you need to know when to look, you need to know what to look for. You need to have good strategies when it comes to online sourcing. I mean, just scrolling and making offers works for some people. That's not what I do. I have, you know, actual strategies when I am online sourcing. Um, It's out there. It's just a matter of honing in on. It's a skill. It's a skill like anything else. It's something that you have to kind of dive into. And at that moment, you're going to feel like you have no idea what you're doing completely lost but the more you practice it Mm -hmm. the better you're going to get at it and the same goes with authentication the more you touch and feel and you interact with items same as any brand as anything doesn't matter where it is on the spectrum it could be a home good for all i care the more you interact with that specific piece brand type of items the better you're going to get at it and authentication becomes easier is it ever going to be like a hundred percent, you know it? No, because there are times that I still get duped and I'm like, I actually don't know. Let me reach out to so-and-so who I know does a really good job at this and understands it. Let me just get their perspective on it because sometimes they make real good fakes and the leather is really good. Like everything is perfect about it, but there might be that one thing that's throwing you off and you just can't pinpoint what it is. Um, Like I, I can, for the most part, authenticate everything myself, but there have been times where I'm like, I really just, I don't know. And things are changing so much with luxury too, like with the chips and everything and the way that they're doing their, their logos. And it's just constantly evolving now that it's become, it is harder to authenticate luxury. 
I'll tell you, um, I, I, I've gotten really good at it. I can really tell by photos, like 99% of the time. Um, I can think of like two items that I've sourced in the past, like eight months or so that were fake. One of them I was able to return. One of them, I didn't figure it out until I was about to list it. And I was like, something is off. And this was just the other day that I figured this out. It was a $200 investment. And I found out that it was fake. And at this point, I'm too far past the return window. There's nothing really I can do, which is okay. You know, in the grand scheme of things for how I operate in my numbers, $200 isn't going to kill me this Mm -hmm. month. Um, But I think that's why, like, you start with lower risks. You start, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you invest $50 or $75 and kind of test the waters there. But you're also very, very protected by most places that you're going to be sourcing. And if you're not, you can always file a credit card chargeback as long as you do things in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to really get, you know, screwed out of something um, when it comes to a fake. Yeah. But for me, like I, I got lazy and I didn't even look at it. And when I was photographing it, I was like, Hmm, this and this and this seems kind of weird. And it wasn't until later that I was like, you know what, this is completely wrong. So and it happens like, to all of us. It does. And I think uh, you brought up a good point of like spending the money and starting small and building your way up. Um, when I first started spending $15 seemed like, like, what, what are you talking about? $15? I would never spend $15. Like $5 yeah. is my max, right? <laughs> and then times change, number one, <laughs> pricing changes. And then your ability to source changes and what you want to source changes. So now... I'll pay 20 to $50 without even blinking. Like that's okay. Fine. $25. That's fine. Um, mm-hmm. What's the most you've ever spent on an item? Mm. I believe it was $800. Mm, that's pretty up there. <laughs> that is pretty. Yeah. I would say the most I've ever spent is 375 or 385, but there is a couple pieces that I'm eyeing right now at a semi-local place um that has some very expensive jackets um that are go that they have also 30% off of them right now so it would be like 800 and i probably would still profit 4 to 550 on them uh, mm-hmm. so i'm contemplating it's on my list of things that i'm contemplating yeah but it's a big just i mean those are there in the back of your mind yeah yes they're yeah. just and big <laughs> I mean, and that's not something that I would recommend for (laughs) anyone unless you're like 100%, like Mm -hmm. I'm good with, with paying up. I'm good with online sourcing. I'm good with authentication. Like I got the funds. Like this is all good. Please have the capital. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's not a beginner move. (laughs) God, no, no. I I remember the first time I spent 50 and I was like beside myself that I spent $50. But then when you start to like do it over and over again. You're like, oh, this is so worth it. Like it's the mm-hmm. same game as spending a dollar and flipping it for 25 or 30. It's the same game. It's just the number is different. That's the right. only thing that changes. Right. Right. Yeah. So let's talk also, about your Patreon. I, okay. <laughs> well, actually, no, finish your thought and then let's talk about the Patreon. Well, what I was just going to say is you can also kind of build up. Like what yes. I, what I tell people is yes. like, start with a hundred bucks, pay up for something, you know, list it when that profit comes in then add that Mm -hmm. to your cost of goods, you know, then your fund is bigger and you can kind of go from there. That's exactly what I do too. That's, it's like the constant, like you just keep building it, but get that next Mm -hmm. thing, build it again, get the next thing. 
Right. But let's talk about your Patreon before we go because okay. um, many people have told me that it's excellent. I've never joined it, so I don't know, but I have heard wonderful things about it. So Madison has a Patreon group where she shares all the things that we're not going to talk about in this episode because you need to go to our <laughs> Patreon group. We need to sign up for it. Um, it's $19 a month. And why don't you share with everyone for why you even started it and then what it is. Yeah, I started it mostly, first of all, because everyone was always, I always posted my solds and I have done that. I mean, I haven't been doing it very much lately. I, like, I haven't I've done, done it in for, so long, but I used to do it all I the know. time. <laughs> I, I did it for years and years and years and people would be like, oh, it'd be really helpful to know how much you paid for this. And I'm like, mm, that's not information I really want out there to the public. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what, what if I can build something where I can incorporate that information, but on top of that, I can help people who are right. trying to figure out how to pay up for things. So you obviously get my cost of goods sold for everything that I sell ever. Um, I know like comments on my sales and then there's just all kinds of, you know, behind the scenes kind of like current updates, this, this, and that. Um, I've got strategies you know, online sourcing strategies, you should see my highlights. There are just a ton of highlights there, things I've just saved. Um, and I do a weekly Q&A session so people can submit their questions and I answer those questions during the week. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. It's it's like a little community over there mm. and I my DMs are open. I'm, I try to be <laughs> a lot quicker to respond to Patreon yeah. messages and I'm able to kind of go, go more in depth with my subscribers. Um, and what else? They also have a discord, which is fun because, um, you can kind of chat with other people who are in the mm-hmm. same boat as you trying to learn the same skills type of thing. Discord's yeah, it's a lot the of best. Fun. I love the discord. Like that's probably one of the best features of when you have a Patreon group, because you can really build this community of people that network and talk to each other and, you know, ask questions and get answers and all of that stuff. And like, you as the the owner, right? Like you don't necessarily have to facilitate anything because they're doing it, but like you pop in and you you talk to people and it's a great way to get to know the people who pay money mm-hmm. for you every like that that want those services from you. And it's just it's just a great, great tool. I love it. It's right. Wonderful. Right. And sometimes people will be in there like, hey, look at this Poshmark closet. They've got stuff mm-hmm. priced really low. And I'm like, oh my God, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Scandalous. Thank they're you. Like, yeah, they're like sharing secrets and stuff. And it's a cool place where people can, you know, like they always come to me if they have a question. Mm-hmm. I What I say is like, if you need actual experience or actual advice, like black or white, yeah. come to me. But go to Patreon if you're just like, hey, what do most of you do? Do you use stock photos? Do you mm-hmm. photograph like on a white background? Or, you know, do you do flat light? Like that type of thing. Um, and so I think it's really cool to, because, okay, we've been on Instagram for a long time, right? Yep. So we have our little community, but especially newer resellers, they don't have that. Nope. They're, they feel like they're the audience and they're looking up at these accounts and they don't really feel like they can interact with them. Mm-hmm. So it gives them kind of a little community so they can start to meet other resellers and people who share interests. And it also normalizes people like ourselves that share information because I feel like people sometimes look at us like, oh, can I even, can I even send them a message or like, and we don't even have big, like our followings aren't even anything like, you know what I mean? Like under 10k here and people yeah. still get nervous to like say something or like oh I saw you but I didn't want to interact with you and it's like 
having these other layers where people feel more connected to you is great. Even, I mean, especially I can speak from my own experience for me because I want to make other friends outside of the people who I've always seen on social. There are so many right. great people on social media that like no one knows about because they don't have a following or like they don't look right. at social media. They don't focus on social media. So it's like, there's so many great people with so much experience out there. And that's really what like having a Patreon and discord is all about. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Just so a great little community. I just love it so much. <laughs> Maybe I need to join. <laughs> Maybe you do. <laughs> I mean, just a month or two, whatever. <laughs> just pop in. That's all. I yeah. No, I, I have heard wonderful things about your Patreon group and I will definitely link it in the show notes. All of Madison's info will be in the show notes. Make sure you go follow her. She posts really great stories of all of her amazing finds, which I love. I love looking at all the great things that you that you source. I do too. That's why I post them. <laughs> <laughs> the honesty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, make sure you check out her Patreon group. And yeah, thank you so much for having this conversation with me, talking about all the things, all the reseller and luxury thing. I could talk about luxury all day long. Um, I know. But not everyone's interested in it. So yeah. A lot of people are. <laughs> they, yeah, the, the like allure of luxury, right? <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Of course, anytime. And Jen and I will be back next week. Maybe Jen. I don't know. Jen's traveling right now. So she may be back next week. If not, it's just me. Uh, so I will talk to you guys next time. Bye.